We are back in the letter to the Romans this morning. Uh, we just started this uh, letter last week. Uh, remember, uh, as we saw last week, this letter is written by a man named Paul, who was directly appointed by the resurrected Jesus to be one of his authorized spokespersons, to speak truly and authoritatively about the truth of the gospel, the good message of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, we've seen that, uh, that what he, he wrote and told us was that this message wasn't something that was new, but it was consistent with all of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and we saw that, uh, that it was a message that was to go out to the nations. It was moving Paul in worship and a desire to see uh, the good news of Christ spread. And therefore, he's writing this letter to a, a, the, the group of believers in Rome that he'd never met. Some of them he had met through some of his journeys, but Paul had never been to this uh, believing community, to this church. He didn't start this church. But he desires to go there and to be helped by them as his desire is to see the gospel spread to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire in, in Spain. Um, so he's been writing and, and instructing them and, and, and introducing himself to them and also introducing, as we'll see through the, this book, uh, overviewing the gospel of Jesus. Um, he's been delayed in coming to them, but he hopes to go soon. Uh, and this letter serves as an introduction to him and to the message that God has entrusted to him. Uh, we're going to see this morning... Uh, and understand Paul, as he, as he spoke to the Romans, he said that he was eager, eager to come and preach the gospel to them in Rome. Why is he so eager? Why this desire, this confidence that Paul has in this message? So we want to look at this morning. We're only going to look at two verses. Uh, the reason why is uh, these two verses summarize the theme of the entire book of Romans, that overview uh, the, the message that Paul is going to unfold through the, the remaining chapters of this book. So we want to make sure that as we uh, prepare to, to study this letter, uh, that we understand from the beginning what it is that Paul is seeking to tell us about the good news of this message of the gospel, what it means for us what it means about our God, so that we would respond appropriately. Remember, that's what Paul said, to respond in the obedience of faith. So, if you would, look with me. We're in chapter 1, the book of Romans. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 939. I'm actually going to start back up in verse 13 just so that we get the context of uh, these, uh, these two verses. So follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as, a well, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given your word to your people. We thank you that what we read is not something that's just been produced or come out of the the mind or the pen of a man, but the Holy Spirit, you bore Paul along to reveal and speak to your people. Holy Spirit, we pray and ask that you would use your living and active word to accomplish your purposes here and now. Would we hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and respond appropriately to the gospel? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Paul, he says he's eager to go to Rome, but he's been delayed. Why are you delayed, Paul? Why haven't you showed up? You've been spending all your time over there in Ephesus, in Corinth, speaking with the Philippians, been back to Jerusalem. Why have you yet to come here? Are you afraid? Are you afraid to preach this message that Jesus is Lord in the capital city of the one who proclaims to be Lord, Caesar? Where have you been, Paul? Notice what Paul says. His delay has not been because he's afraid. His delay has not been because he is ashamed. Paul is eager, he says, to preach the gospel. Why? Why is he eager? Why is he not ashamed? Notice what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul is not ashamed. He is eager to go to Rome, the capital city of the dominant empire of the day, to proclaim a message that goes completely contrary to what Rome stands for. That there is a king who rules over all things. He is not Caesar. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's not afraid to go to Rome. The empire that put Jesus to death. He's not afraid to go to Rome. Those that that seek to expand and spread their kingdom and demonstrate their power to bring Roman peace and salvation to the nations through the exercise of their military might, of seeking to bring dominance and bring people into their kingdom through subjugation. But what Paul says is he's not ashamed because the gospel is power for salvation. Back when we lived in Virginia, I was doing some work in our backyard that I needed to drill a hole into the side of a concrete pipe. And my drill, I knew, wasn't going to cut it, so I started talking to some guys at church. And they told me, I was like, well, I have a hammer drill. I don't know if it'll really do what you need it to do. Uh, They were almost like apologetic. 
Like, you can borrow it, but I'm not making any promises. And so, borrowed one guy's drill, took it home. Within two minutes, I burned it up. Didn't make it through. So I was talking to another guy at church, told him the same story. He's like, well, mine's a little bit better than that one. But again, it sounds like you're going through some stuff that's pretty hard and difficult. This might work. Why don't you give it a try? Again, he didn't seem too confident. And once I started using the drill, I understood why. Because again, two minutes into it, I burned up a second drill. At that point, I stopped asking guys at church for drills. Um, So I asked my neighbor across the street. But my neighbor across the street, he was not ashamed of the drill he was offering. So he worked for a construction company. And he's like, oh, I got just exactly what you need. Completely confident that the drill he was offering to me would accomplish and do exactly what I needed it to do. That it had the power and the ability to go straight through this concrete pipe. He brings it home. It's in a case, unlike the ones I got from the other guys that we just kind of unwrapped the cord off of. And it went straight through all ten holes that I needed to drill and bust the hole into the pipe. He was not ashamed of his drill because he was confident of the power that it had to accomplish and do what it intended to do and that it would not be thwarted. And he was exactly right. You know why he knew? He'd experienced it. He had experienced the power of that drill over and over and over again. Do you remember who this is that is bringing this message and who says he's eager to bring the good news that Jesus is Lord to the capital city of the Roman Empire? It's Paul, the terrorizer of Christians. The one who has experienced the power of the Lord Jesus when he speaks the good news message of the gospel that it brings salvation, that it brings enemies to their knees and into submission and trust and into a relationship with him. Paul says, oh no, I am not ashamed. I'm eager to come to preach the gospel in Rome. And I'm confident that when I speak and I preach and proclaim this message, that there will be a harvest. That God's people that He has in Rome, His lost sheep will be saved. That people will come to faith because the good news message of the Gospel is how God demonstrates and proclaims His power in the world and how He brings people to salvation. He's not ashamed. Are we? Are you ashamed of the Gospel? Am I ashamed of the Gospel? Not sure if I should really speak the good news and the reality and the truth of who Jesus is in my school, or my workplace, to that hostile neighbor or family member, how will they respond? Is there really any way that the one who is so militantly against Jesus, that this message will result in anything other than them just mocking and laughing at me? That may be the result. But also know 
that what Paul says here is that the gospel is power for salvation. And there is no one that cannot be saved when God exercises and demonstrates His power. Sometimes maybe we're ashamed to share the gospel and communicate the gospel because we're afraid we might mess it up. Then we're not confident in our ability to communicate and share the gospel. Is it important to be able to clearly and faithfully communicate the good news of how one comes to faith in Jesus? Yes, we have evangelism training all the time. But notice, Paul doesn't say the power of the gospel is Paul's power. That it comes in his ability to speak and communicate the gospel. And that means it's not you either. Notice, whose power is it? It's the power of God. It's God's message. It's God speaking. In fact, Paul, writing to uh, another church later in the New Testament, he will say that when we are speaking and sharing the gospel, it is actually God making his appeal through us. You see, we need not be ashamed of the gospel. It doesn't come about its power exercised through what we or our strength, but it is the power of our God who uses the gospel proclaimed and the good news message of Jesus shared to save. That's what he says, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Well, that's an important question we need to know. As Paul is talking about this gospel message that he has been entrusted with by Jesus. It results in salvation? Salvation from what? As Paul goes on through the letter to the Romans, he's going to be occupied in these first three chapters or so in expressing and communicating explicitly and directly what it is that we need salvation from and why we need to be saved. It's because of our sin, our rebellion against God as our King, our rejection of the Creator who made all things and is the ruler over all things. And we've decided to live our lives ourselves to live life in our world without Him doing what we want to do. And Paul says, you stand condemned before the righteous and holy God, deserving of His just wrath and curse for your sin. But God is offering a message of salvation through the Gospel of what Jesus has done that you can be saved from your sin and from the wrath you deserve for your rejection of God. Notice, though, who he says this message is for and who it has the power to work in. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You understand what Paul's saying here? One, everybody is in need of salvation. There is no one alive on the face of the earth who has ever lived, except for Jesus, who necessitates and needs salvation. 
to be saved from their sin and the wrath we deserve for our punishment, Paul says. This message is for everyone. You need to be saved. And as Paul communicates it, and he expresses it, notice what he says, it's salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Before we saw him using this this term, Greeks and barbarians, that's speaking from the Roman perspective of just dividing out all of humanity. Here he's speaking from the Jewish perspective, Jew and Greek, all of humanity. Notice what that means, though. God has the power. And the preaching of the gospel can save anyone. This is good news. And should, as believers... Give us more confidence and boldness in proclaiming and sharing the gospel. Because it is the power of God to save, and He can save anyone. You do not know what will happen when you communicate and share and express the good news message that God took on flesh, entered into the world, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved, rose on the third day and now is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things. And He offers forgiveness and salvation to those who will trust in Him. You do not know how God will use that message when you preach, speak, share the good news message of the Gospel to a non-believer. Because what Paul says is it doesn't matter who they are, how intimidating they might be, how much more academic credentials they have or articulate they may be than you. God has the power to work in the heart of any sinner. Therefore, as God's people, this should move us to not be ashamed of the gospel and to humbly and boldly and faithfully communicate it and share it with anyone that our God brings into our path. But also... There may be some of you here today who you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. A lot of what we're talking about is new. You're trying to understand what it is. And I'm I'm glad you're here if that's that's you. And please continue to come back because Paul is going to go in depth over these next 16 chapters to help us understand not just what the problem is, but the solution in Jesus and how we're to live out our lives. But notice what Paul says It's the power of salvation for everyone who believes. That means you may be sitting there and thinking, there's no way God would ever accept me. If you knew what I had done, if you'd known how I've used my my life, my mouth, my body, the things that I've looked at, the things that I've said, there's no way this God would save me. Hear the good news. Hear the power of the gospel. Hear why Paul isn't ashamed because God has the power and he does exercise the power to save the chief of sinners. That's actually how Paul describes himself. It's the good news of the gospel that God active in the world saving sinners through the sharing and the announcing and the proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and Savior of sinners. All right? 
this gospel. It's, it's powerful. It saves. How? How is the gospel saving power? This message, this announcement. How does God go about saving sinners? Notice what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for, this is him going on, why is he not ashamed of it? Why is it the power of God? For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's the power of salvation because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is is revealed. That word righteousness is going to be important for us to understand. As it's in, in talking about God, it's describing His perfections, that He always does what is good and right. He is the standard of rightness and justice. Uh, it also, as the, the Scriptures talk about it, 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 it talks about uh, God and His righteousness. We see that, that he's, he's faithful and trustworthy and true to bring about his promises, to bring an end to sin, but also to judge it and do what is right. The, remember what Paul has told us, that this message that he's proclaiming and he is communicating is not a new message. It's an old message. It's consistent with how God has revealed himself in the Old Testament. Listen, this is one of the, the, the psalms. Uh, it's a collection of, of prayers and songs that were written and given to God's people to sing and worship Him. And listen how salvation and righteousness comes together in Psalm 98 as it writes about what God is doing. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Yahweh has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. See, God demonstrating and bringing about salvation always and necessarily means Him revealing and showing forth His righteousness. His justice on wickedness and sin and punishing the wrongdoer, but also Him keeping His promises. And being faithful to what he said he would do, going all the way back to Genesis, the creation of Adam and Eve. And when Adam sinned and humanity fell in sin because of Adam's rebellion, God promised that he would send one who would come and who would save. And the unfolding of the rest of the scriptures is evidence of God revealing his righteousness and his faithfulness to both punish sin and bring about salvation and keeping His promises. Righteousness and faithfulness go together. But there's a problem. You see, this message that God communicates and He shares to His people, if He's a righteous God... What about sinners who are standing in the presence of this God? This good news message that he, that he proclaims in Isaiah. Isaiah was one of God's prophets sent to communicate both God's righteousness and His need to judge the sin and rebellion of His people, but also the promise that He would bring salvation. 
Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 62. He spent a lot of this book talking about how Israel is unrighteous, but listen to what he says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Zion's another word for the people of God. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of Yahweh will give. Here, the prophet Isaiah is speaking of there's some way in the salvation that God brings that as he relates to his people, the bringing and coming of this salvation doesn't just bring salvation to God's people, it brings them righteousness. In fact, it's the bringing of this righteousness to the people of God that results in their salvation. How can this happen? How could it be that a sinful people could be declared righteous? Because this is how we stand before our God. Susanna, what's that say? Unrighteous. This is who we are before our God. What's that say, Ruth? Guilty. We're guilty before our God because of our rejection and our sin. What are we, Adelaide? We're sinners. This is our status before our God for our rejection and our sin against Him and our hearts. We are not good. What are we, Peter? Evil, the Scriptures tell us. So here we stand as our God looks at us. The righteous judge as He looks at us and our status before Him because of who we are and what we've done, He looks at us and the just pronouncement is that you are evil, you are unrighteous, you are a sinner, you are guilty. You see, to be righteous before God means that we rightly relate to our God. And we rightly relate to His law. But how can one who is guilty, who is evil, who is unrighteous, and who is a sinner ever relate rightly to our God? Because we have broken His commandments. We've all confessed that. And a righteous judge must punish one who has this as their identity and their status. But God offers the message of salvation. And what He offers is that forgiveness is available for God's people through Jesus and what He's done. We can be cleansed from our unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness can be taken away. Our evil can be taken away. Our guilt, our status as sinner. How? How can a righteous God take away sin like this and still be righteous? It's because of the good news message of Jesus. Because Jesus died in our place. The penalty for this evil and this guilt and this unrighteousness and our sin, God placed on Jesus and He died in our place. The righteousness of God is revealed because He punishes sin. But this this leaves us in a a difficult place (laughs) because if if I'm cleansed of my sin, now I stand here 
just me. All the ways that I've broken God's law have been forgiven and taken away. But how can I rightly relate to my God? Is there any hope that I could relate rightly to His law and do all that God has called me to do? Think about if you had a debt. Moving from the courtroom to the financial illustration. Let's say you had a debt of $999 trillion. That's how much you owed. You're never going to pay that back. Let's say you try to go get a loan for a house, for a car, for a candy bar. And they ask you, hey, well, we got to see your credit. And you're like, well, I owe $999 trillion. And they're like, sorry, can't, can't get this here. So somebody forgives it. They pay your debt off. Now you come in and say, hey, guess what? Now I don't have any debt. I'm ready to get this car. I'm ready to get this house. I'm ready to get this candy bar. And they say, well, hold on. Now we've seen that your debt has been cleared. What about the positive stuff into your account? Do you have anything with which to purchase said candy bar? Do you have any way to provide for and pay for what is needed for this house or this vehicle? You see, just having your debt canceled doesn't put you in the place of being positive to where you now have what is necessary to be in a right relationship with God. Because it's not just that you haven't broken God's law, the negative debt side. You must be one who has positively and always lived and fulfilled the law perfectly. The credit in the account must be 999 trillion, trillion, trillion infinite in order to rightly relate to our God. Why? Because we're judged based on the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel. And he is infinitely righteous and holy God. So how then is it? How then can a God look at a sinner like me? even a forgiven one, and say, I am declaring you righteous. I am declaring and saying that what is true of you is just not that you haven't sinned, but that you in every single way have perfectly and rightly fulfilled my law. Is there any way? Well, yes. Notice. What Paul quotes, he says here, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting from the prophet Habakkuk, another prophet who points to us that there is the reality and the truth that people can be declared and called and stated to be righteous by our God. The good news message of the gospel reveals that this righteousness of God is available for God's people. How? How is it that a sinner can be declared right without God being unjust? Well, you see, that's the good news message of the gospel. 
Because Jesus didn't die in our, just die in our place. Jesus, when, he, when God the Son took on flesh, He entered into our world, He lived a perfect life. He always lived in conformity to God's law, always submitting to God, always trusting God, loving God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength, always loving His neighbor as His self. His credit, His account... His declaration of Him, what is actually true of Him, not just declared, He was the righteous and perfect One. And the good news message of the Gospel is that when we place and we look and we hope and trust in Jesus, the offer that is given us is that we are not just standing before God as ourselves, but we're clothed. We're clothed in Christ. And what is true of Christ is credited to us. What's that say, Sandy? God's righteousness. What's that say, Sam? Kept the law. Hope I don't staple my arm. We have a couple of doctors here. It'll be okay. I'm not left-handed. Uh, that one's not stapling. What's that say, Michael? Perfect. It's what is true of us in Jesus. This one says, pleasing. So now as... God looks at us in Jesus. What he sees is Jesus' credit and his account that is ours. The righteousness of God. Perfection. He always kept the law. He is pleasing to God. And so now when God looks at us, he doesn't just look at us in a neutral state, having just our sin forgiven. No, we are clothed and found in Jesus And so now the righteousness of God is revealed because Jesus, God in the flesh, lived the righteous life for us. And what He offers and what is extended to us in the good news of the Gospel is that the righteousness of God can be credited to you. Based on what you have done? No. On the righteousness of Jesus. What He has done in your place. That's what Paul's proclaiming. That's actually what, as we move through Romans, he's going to spend a whole lot of time nailing down for us. That it's not through what you've done. It's not your righteousness because left to yourself, you are evil. You are unrighteous. You are a sinner. And left to your own work, you will never perfectly fulfill the law. You need one who has done it for you. And that's what the message of the Gospel proclaims. That there is one. Jesus of Nazareth. And then that brings a question for us then. How? How can I be saved? How can I be declared to be righteous in Jesus? Notice what Paul says. It's not through what we've done. It's not through our performance. He says this over and over. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
It comes through faith, not through performance. It comes through trusting and resting in Jesus. In fact, this isn't a new message either. Habakkuk, when he's writing this and says the righteous shall live by faith, he's alluding to what God said was true of Abraham back in Genesis 15.6. God promised to Abraham that through his offspring, the one who would take away the sin of the world would come. And Abraham questioned and struggled with this. But then as God continued to reveal His goodness and His faithfulness to Abraham, Abraham believed God. And the first time in Scripture where it talks about one being counted righteous before God is said of Abraham. And it said he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, this righteousness, that the righteous one that Paul is speaking of here that lives by faith, became righteous by faith. In fact, that's what he says here, just before here. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. The beginning of the Christian life, you enter into a relationship with your God through faith. Not through your works, not through your performance, not through your prayer, not through your Bible reading, not through your church attendance, but through hoping and resting and trusting in Jesus. But also notice what he says. It's for faith. And as Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. You don't just enter into the Christian life by faith. The totality of the Christian life is lived out in faith and trust in Jesus and who He is. And resting and relying on my identity as one who is found in Jesus. Not in my own performance. Paul is going to lay this out for us. He's going to move from showing us in the early chapters of humanity's condemnation before our God. Our sin. What we have earned and deserved is wrath. But he offers and communicates that there is one who lived perfectly. And his credit can be applied to us through faith. And then he moves towards the end of the book of telling us and beginning to share what it looks like to live out the truth of this gospel by faith. To be and live and demonstrate the righteousness that has been declared true of us in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why the gospel is power. Because the righteousness of Jesus cancels any debt. The death of Jesus does. The righteousness of Jesus credits you so that you will and can and always will stand before your God. And when He looks at you, He says, well pleased, forgiven, my son, my daughter, we or the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the good news. The good news of the Gospel. If you are, are trusting and resting in your own performance to try to merit your place before God, or to maintain your place before God, Paul says you're mistaken. You'll never do it. This will never be true of you, in and of yourself. It only comes when you trust, and you rest, and you hope in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. This is the powerful message that Paul, Paul proclaims. This is the good news of the Gospel. And the proper and right response is faith, is belief, is to turn from my sin and my rejection of God and hope and rest only in Jesus. Because Jesus can save anyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank You the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have 
saved and redeemed. Your people by faith in Jesus. We pray that you would give us more and more confidence in the ability and the power and the sufficiency of Christ to deal with and take away our sin and of his righteous and perfect life to be credited to us that we would be found perfect in him before you. Give us greater depth and understanding of the realities of the gospel as we study Romans together. May we walk by faith. May we believe and rest and always trust in Christ. Amen.